this trailer that we're using because it's at the end it says awaken me and that has been my prayer for all of us that through this study and through this time together that we would come alive that we would awaken I think it's interesting that when we pray for something like spiritual awakening how many of you on some occasion maybe in the past or even present say yes I've prayed for spiritual awakening before how many of you would just say yeah I've done that before I've done it and if you haven't, we need to get everybody involved in that, so we're going to pray in just a minute. But the idea about spiritual awakening tends to be praying for something to come. Have you ever noticed that? Back when I was in, in my early, early Southern Baptist days, we did revivals. You know, and they, they started off in my early days where they'd go all week long. And we would pray for that, and we'd seek God. We'd say, Lord, bring revival, bring revival, bring revival, all along not realizing we are the revival. We should be a revival looking for a place to happen, right? We should be looking for a spiritual awakening, looking for a place to wake up, right? But it was good-hearted and good, meant well, and, but we always kept thinking something's going to come from the outside. We want more of you, Lord. We pray for more. You know what? We should pray for more. But here's what I believe, and I think the Lord has taken me even through the book of Ephesians, Colossians that we did this summer, doing the Identified series, and I've come to this point where my... Prayer emphasis has shifted, as we might say, you put the emphasis on a different syllable, right? Some of you will get that at lunchtime. And you actually shift where you're going with the prayer. For example, I used to pray, Father, I'm praying for spiritual awakening. I'm asking you, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up. To, Lord, bring more. We need more of you. We want more of you. We want more of you. We cry out for more of you. We desire more of you. And all along, he's been whispering to me, you got all of me. You have me. Wouldn't it be weird if your kids came to you and say, look, I just want you to be more of the dad that you already are. In fact, I just want more of you. And you're standing there going, I'm here. <laughs> no, no, more of you, dad, more. Like, How do I give you more? I'm here, literally, in your presence. I'm in your proximity. It would be absurd, wouldn't it, to ask for more when you already have all you're going to get. You can't manufacture or clone your father. He's right there. My prayer for spiritual awakening has shifted from, Lord, we want more of you. Bring us more. And that's not a bad thing to pray. Don't misunderstand. I'm not making fun of that. But my prayer has become, Lord, open our eyes to what already is. Open our eyes to Christ in us, the hope of glory. Open our eyes to the salvation that we already have, that we already have your spirit alive and well on the inside. I don't need more of a spirit. I need, I need to awaken to more of the spirit that's already there. Does that make sense? Because the Lord is not looking for somebody to just come along and say, all right, now I'm going to start adding things to you. I'm going to start giving you things. He is already there. You got the full meal deal. He biggie-sized you the day you said yes to Jesus. Amen. You ever bought one of those software programs online? $19.99. You're so excited. Like, this is a crazy good deal. It's like $250 piece of software for $19.99, but you forgot to read the small print. That either said in-app purchases or more, you know, there's more to it. So you buy the 1999, you download the whole program, takes up a massive amount of memory, and then you realize you can only use an eighth of the thing. Why? Because you're locked out of the rest of the program. You got the whole thing, but you don't have access to the whole thing. The beauty of walking with Jesus is that He gives us access. He is the code. He is the key. He is the bridge. See what I did there? Not the ridge. He's the bridge. Who gives us access 
to everything that is ours in Christ. We have it because of Jesus. So can I pray? Would you pray with me? Let's pray for awakening together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you as the body of Christ called Bridge Church. And we come before you as sons and daughters, and I'm asking, Father, we're asking together, and I'm asking, I'm not saying it, I'm asking, would you open our eyes to see what already is, what we already have, the inheritance that is already ours in Christ, the blessings that are already ours in Christ. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears that we may hear your voice, that we may hear and open our heart, Father, that we may know you, know scope to know by experience and have intimate knowledge of, not in the head, but in the heart. Father, thank you for the truth sets us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. We just prayed for revival throughout the hill country, right there in that simple prayer. Because let me tell you something, if all of us will wake up, the whole hill country will see Jesus. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Listen to this. We're doing a series, and we started, this is week two, we're talking about awaken to security. What does that mean? Security does that mean our security forces that are, that are all over the place? No, it means this. We are secure in Christ. And we're going to look at that, and we'll, I'll show that to you in just a minute. But you have to understand something. And I love this. In my heritage, we had a teaching called the security of the believer. Anybody remember that? That was a full lot. Only one person. Thank you, Steve. Only one person. Me and Steve remember that from our days. But here's the beauty of it. It's true. When you give your heart to Jesus, you are now secure in Him. Let me tell you, you name one entity on this planet that can open the hand of God and take you away. Not a one. Nothing. Nothing. Listen, let's start in here. Definition of awaken. We're talking about being awake means to become fully conscious, alert, or aware of something, to stir up, to activate, or like mom would say, snap out of it. <laughs> Wake up. Snap out of it. Remember the prodigal son? Found himself in a pigsty. Never planned to go there, never knew or believed in any way that he would end up in a pig pen eating the slop that the hogs were eating and grateful for it at the moment because he had nothing. He had lost everything, squandered everything. And the Bible uses a curious phrase. It says, he came to himself. He woke up. Let me ask a question. Have you ever been going through life and then you sort of have an awakening moment and you wake up and you're thinking to yourself, how did I ever get here? How far down the road of bad did I have to go? How, many down, how, much, how far down the road of bad choices and mistakes and missteps did I have to go to end up here? And it's like the fog lifts and you find yourself in that place. You know what I pray for people that are away from God or that have wandered off or that have forgotten who they are in Christ and they're drifting? Uh, the old term in the, in the Scripture is backsliding. They're backsliding. You know what I pray for people like that? I pray from a heart of compassion. And I say, Father, lift the fog. Awaken them. Open their eyes. Lord, help them to snap out of it. Help them. Help them to come to themselves. I'm telling you, this thing about awakening is so critical for us. The prodigal son woke up. Ah, that we may wake up. Amen, church? All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to continue our journey through Ephesians. Paul, let me give you a little backdrop in case you forgot. 
the book of Ephesians was written by Paul within two to three years of the end of his life. He was martyred in that Roman prison cell. He was in Rome, in incarceration, and he was writing letters, and it was as though Paul knew the end was near, and he writes, and this is why I love the weight and gravity of the book of Ephesians, is that he knew the end was near, he knew he was coming to the end of his days, he has fought the fight, he, he's, he's fought the good fight of faith, and he knows he's coming to the end, so he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, is called a circular letter which means they would take it, read it to the, that congregation of these initial groups that met in Ephesus, then they would circulate it through all the churches, and it would go out in sort of a circle and a radius and touch all the churches. So a circular letter wasn't just written specifically to one group, but to many, those who were followers of Jesus. By the way, that letter is still circulating today. We have it in the Bible. It's called the book of Ephesians. Same letter, same impact, same message. The truth still holds. So as we read this today, I want you to know it was written as though Paul knew these are the last things I have to say to the church. And let the weight and the gravity of that weigh on you as we read it. Feel the weight of it. Feel the gravity. Feel the importance of these words. Because when he says this, when he writes this, he knows he's at the end. It's almost like a memoir. So as we read it, I want you to look at this. And by the way, verses 15, the whole thing, uh, all 15 to verse 15 to 23 is literally one sentence. Now we know there's no punctuation in Greek, but there is sentence structure. And this is one long run-on sentence, much like the introduction was. So he's like just writing. And what he's about to do is he's about to open up the blessings that are yours and that are mine in Christ. And I want you to prepare your heart to receive that. Don't just go, oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor Jimmy. That was great. Thank you for teaching the Bible. No, no, no. I want you to take the gravity of these words and say, that's for me. That isn't for them. That isn't for someone else. This is for me. In fact, say that out loud. This is for me. Say it with me. This is for me. Let's do it together one more time. This is for me. I know that's awkward, but I want you to get this as you open up. So listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you. And then he says this, making mention of you in my prayers. Now he made, he made mention of others in his prayers, so he's including them in something that he's praying over all of the churches. So this is a very broad stroke prayer, but has very specific promises and blessings in it. So he's saying, I'm making mention of you, as well as Colossae and others, in this prayer. And now he launches into the prayer, and we get an insight into Paul's prayer life. But again, don't take it as haphazard words. Knowing he was on his way out, he says, this is what I want to leave them with. So look what he says. Verse 17, and here he starts. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Boy, what an, what an address. May give to you, now he starts, this is what we have. May give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit, it's a mentality. It's a spirit, it's a mentality, it's a, it's a way of thinking. Wisdom and revelation in knowing him. Remember Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 said this, that I may know him. 
and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, that I may know. Now the word here, and in Philippians 3, is the word gnosko. It's got a G in front of it, gnosko, gnosko, or gnosis, or knowledge. And it literally means to know by experience. In other words, I don't know this here, I know it here. And what a heartbreaker to think that some people will miss heartfelt, intimate knowledge, real truth, real freedom by 17 inches. Why 17 inches? Because that's the average length in an average man between the middle of your brain and the middle of your heart. Can you imagine missing freedom in Christ by 17 inches? I know about the Bible. I know about Jesus. I know some portions of the Bible. I can even quote John 3.16. I may can even quote Galatians 2.20. I can quote some verses, but do you know, and the way I like to say it in just good old West Texas Jimmy Pruitt fashion, is you know and you're knower. Do you know and you're knower? That's hard to define. It is. So is the heart. It's squishy. It's like, what does that mean exactly? Well, if you know and you know her, you know what I mean. And that means you literally cannot be talked out of it by anybody, anything, not even that person looking back at you in the mirror can talk you out of it. Because you know, you gnosko. It also means to have intimate knowledge. A little R rating here, that literally means the knowledge of a man and his wife, a husband and wife. That kind of knowledge. That's all I'm going to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. It means to know. You know. You know in your knower. And he says this, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing. You know what the word revelation means? It's based out of the word reveal, and it means to peel back. You know how when you peel back something and there's another layer? And then you peel it and there's another layer? You're thinking about an onion. I'm thinking about those tricky little communion cups. You know the little portable ones that no one can really open? That by the time we're doing communion, you're still trying to get the wafer out? Because how does this work? You know what I'm talking about. What happens? You peel one layer, and then there's another, and there's another. It's like, how many layers are there? It's just juice and a cracker. But it seems hard to get to. Why? Because there's layers. Revelation is like that. When we talk about getting a revelation from God, that means yet one more layer has been peeled back, and now I know something I didn't know before. I know something I didn't know before. Not just here, but right here. I know in my knower something I did not know in my knower before. I might have known it here, but I didn't know it here. Seventeen inches. Can you believe that some people will miss heaven by 17 inches? Because this is not this. And that's the kind of thing a guy like me cries over. That's the kind of thing that keeps a guy like me on my knees. 17 inches. Spirit of wisdom and revelation knowing him. Look at the next verse, verse 18. He, said, he goes on, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That means your eyes are open. You heard me pray it. Father, open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and our hearts that we may know scope, that we may know the truth that makes us free. I've lifted that little thing right out of the scripture because that's the principle for me. Open our eyes, open our ears that we may hear your voice and our heart that we may know the truth. That's this. This is that. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's like walking into a dark room and turning on the lights and suddenly you can see. Before it was darkness and you remember there's a couch there and there's that coffee table with the sharp edge right there so you're a little bit, a little bit scary, it's precarious. But when someone turns the light on, it's like, oh, I can blow right through that room. I can navigate it just fine. Why? Because the eyes, the light has been has illumined, and now I can see. And that's what this is saying. Paul is asking that God, by His Spirit, would open our eyes that we could see clearly. Because to live blind in a world where light's available, but to live blind by choice, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, oh, there's that word again, that you may know scope that you may know in your knower what is the hope of His calling. By the way, did you know there's a calling on your life? Yes. Amen. Every believer a minister. That's right. Now, your calling may not be my calling, and my calling is probably not your calling. When the bee fell off the sign yesterday, Pat Toomey called me, and I said, Pat, that is not my calling. Didn't I? I said, That's not, I'm not a builder. I don't even know. I'd put bubble gum on it. I don't even know what holds those things up. So Pat jumps up on a ladder, gets up on the awning. It's 97 degrees out there. We're cooking. He sticks it up there because Pat knows what to do. We're down there talking on the ground, and then we watch it fall off. Boom. <laughs> it's, like, it's like right out of a sitcom. It's like, wow, that was funny, actually. He knows what he's doing. He just didn't have the right tools and the right stuff. He knows how to build. I don't know that. That's not my world. But I have a calling. You know what? You have a calling too. Let me just say something about callings. This is so important. The hope of his calling. That means the expectation. Remember the word hope is not wishful thinking. It literally means this. Joyful and confident expectation of a desired good. That's what Bible hope is. It's expectation. But it's joyful and it's confident. That means I can stand on it. And I can believe it if it's in the Word and it's truth, and I will stand on that Word no matter what the circumstances looks like. So my calling is specific. I know what God's called me to do. I know the lane I'm called to be in. That means nobody and no devil in hell could talk me out of it. When I was in an in-between season, I put out over 500 resumes. 500. I would never count that. Annette counted for me. I gave up at 100 counting because after you get about 100 and 110 rejection letters back, you start to go, maybe I'm not called to this, but you know what? I never once, never once thought that. And I hammered away and hammered away and hammered away because I know what I'm called to do. And you know what? When I write my book, you know what I'm going to do to publishers? I'm going to hammer. I've done this before. I know what it means to write 500 resumes. And these aren't short resumes. These are essays. Answering, I fixed more churches when I wasn't a pastor because I gave them the best plans, the best side. I'm like, my gosh, I should start selling this stuff as a consultant. I wrote essay after thousands of pages in one year to help churches. And they didn't call me, but man, they sure liked my resume. They're like, man, this is good stuff. We're not calling you, but thank you. I'm like, oh, that'll be $10,000, please. But here's the deal. When I write my book, I know what's going to happen. I am going to be like a battering ram. Why? Because I know God's called me to it. Because there are callings, the hope, expectation, confident and joyful. That means you can laugh in the midst of when it doesn't look like it's working. 
Some of you have given up on your calling too soon. Too quickly. When adversity came, can I just blow your bubble real quick? No, I'll blow your mind, burst your bubble. How about that? Listen. The moment you step out into the calling, the first thing you're going to experience is not cheers and joy and excitement of everybody around you. The first thing you're going to experience is resistance. When you step out on a God idea and a God dream, the first thing you will experience is resistance. And if you're looking for the accolades and other people to cheer you on in order to fulfill the calling on your life, you need to stop right now. Because they won't be there. It's sort of like when Joseph shared his dream. Man, he was so fired up. He was so excited. God gave me a dream, brothers. Y'all are all going to bow down and worship me. This is the little brother. Can you imagine them going, excuse me? Now listen, I was a big brother. I was already going, okay, all right, here we go. Get ready. Loosen up. I'm about to throw down. I mean, for a little brother to say, this is my dream. This is my God dream. And you can imagine, and it did not go well for Joseph, correct? Don't ever expect to fulfill a God dream if you're looking for the support and the accolades of people. If you're looking for applause and you're looking for encouragement from others, don't. David himself had to encourage himself in the Lord when everybody, even his own men and his own priest, Abiathar, turned their back on him. He said, give me, give me. So listen, what is the hope of his calling? Let me tell you something. God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, that's not just a beautiful verse for your wall hanging. That is a life verse, and it says this, For I know the plans, not plan, plans. Do you know he has multiple plans for you? Right. This isn't a one, you're not a one-hit wonder. Right. He has plans for you. You're not Barney Fife with one bullet. You've, you're an you're a, you're a AR-15 with multiple rounds. You've got plans. God has plans for you. And he says, plans that are good, not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. Just because you haven't realized those plans doesn't mean they're any less real. God will often not, he'll, God won't say no to a God dream. He might say not now, though. Some of you are in the not now period and you've given up thinking that's a no. It may not be a no. The hope, the expectation of his calling. I know I stayed a long time on that. This is important. I think somebody needed that today. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? By the way, you have an inheritance. It's not yours. It's his. Do you notice that? His inheritance. All of these blessings. Paul is enumerating these things that are for us because we are in Christ. So let's see what that looks like. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power... Toward us who believe. Did you know you're powerful? Did you know that? The word powerful means full of power, just like joyful means full of joy, and faithful means full of faith. Did you know you're powerful? Did you know you're a threat to the enemy, and there's a reason why things haven't gone the way you thought they would, and it's not necessarily because God derailed you. There's a very real enemy who wants to get you off of your calling and get you distracted and out of your lane so that you'll never fulfill the potential. Did you know that the enemy fears the gift you are to this world? 
me say that again in case you missed it. The enemy fears the gift that you are to this world. And the enemy is concerned that if you ever figure out who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, his gig is up. It's over for him. You are powerful. By the way, the devil is powerless. And I only say that based on the Scripture. I'm not picking a fight. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He led captivity captive. He paraded them through the streets. The only, enemy that, the only power the enemy has in your life, I want you to hear this, is the power of deception. He's a liar. The first thing that hits me, whenever I take a hit, I get resistance. Anytime things, I, I look to heaven, I say, Father, is this true? Is this true? Is what they said true? Is, is what happened truth? Is, is what I'm feeling true? He answers every time. And then I just, in the name of, I break any agreement that I might have made with that voice that's not mine. With that idea that came into my head from somewhere, I don't know where, I break that agreement in the name of Jesus. I am not in agreement. I am not in alignment because it's not true. And I will not be in agreement with truth, with, with a lie. I will not agree with a lie. And now what do I do after that? I take the truth and apply that. Listen, listen to what the Scripture says. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power. There it is again. Did you know this? Listen. Which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. He raised Jesus from the dead with this mighty power. Guess what mighty power is working in you? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you. So when I say you're packing heat, I'm not trying to be cute. I am dead serious. You are packing heat. You are powerful. You have working within you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I would say that took some power. What raised Jesus from the dead wasn't this, give me 20 jewels... Clear. What raised Jesus from the dead was the authority of heaven. The authority of heaven. All light. All power. That which created the earth. That which turned this thing. Which floated over the void and said, let there be light. That same power came into Jesus. And He tells us, follow the logic train, that that same power works in us mightily. That should make you walk a little taller than you, walk, you walked in here. That should make you stand up just a little bit more. That should make you say, I will not cower to the devil. I will not cower to the enemy. The liar that tells me I'm not worth anything. Tells me I'm worthless. I'll never amount to anything. I won't make it. I'm going to fail. That is the voice of the liar. And He fears you knowing what we're talking about, and it's right there in the Scripture. And it's been there all along. Your key to freedom has always been right in front of you. Father, God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Right now, awaken us, I pray. Lord, 
Even if we find ourselves in the pig pen, may we come to our senses, come to ourselves, and know the truth that makes us free. Notice the last part of that verse, which in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. We're going to land with this. So follow the logic train. I'm a logical guy. I look at the scripture and I go, this says this, this says this, therefore this is this. See what I mean? A plus B equals C. It's very simple. I'm not good at math, but I can follow a logic train. Here it is. The Bible tells us, we'll look at it next week, but I've got I to gotta go there for the sake of this, that we have been raised up together and seated in Christ in heavenly places. So where are we seated? In Christ in heavenly places. I want you to get this. You, brother and sister, if you've stepped over the line, you're all in with Jesus, given his heart, you're born again, he says this, you have been raised up, seated in Christ, in heavenly places. Hold on to that thought. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See the correlation here. Follow the logic. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of favor, the place of blessing, the place of grace. By the way, grace is not swinging in a hammock on a warm day. Grace is God's power, God's strength, God's ability, God's authority, and God's favor to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. That is grace. And there's nothing weak or passive about grace. It's power. Jesus is sitting at the place of favor besides his Father, the place of authority. Beside his Father, in heavenly places. If that's where Jesus is and we're seated in Christ, where does that say we're seated? Follow logic, right hand of the Father, right? So as Jesus is seated in the Father at the right hand, we're seated in Christ at the right hand, same place, and look what that affords for you and me. Here's the thing, the enemy does not want you to know this. In fact, some of you are going to fight this in your own mind right now. You're about to have a flesh war. Because the enemy is like, no, no, don't believe him. Well, don't believe me. Believe the Word. Believe the Bible. <laughs> Here's what it says. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And look where that is. Far above, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Someone say far above. Far above. Not just over, but far above. Did you know you've not been called to live under your circumstances? You are not designed to live under it. I'm under stress. I'm under the circumstances. I'm under the weather. You were not designed to live under the weather, under stress, or under circumstances. You are seated in Christ, in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father, far above. Now, what is he talking about here? What is this? Principality, power, might, and dominion. You have to understand, the temple of Artemis, the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. And it was full of occult and cultic practices. Dark stuff, dark witchcraft, dark arts. All of that was prolific in Ephesus. And he's telling them, listen, Christ is far above all of that. And by the way, you're in Christ. So guess what? You are not under Artemis. You are not under this God, this false God. You are over all principality, power, might, and dominion. And... Furthermore, every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In other words, not only the names that have been named, but the names that somebody's going to make up, you're over those two because you are in Christ. Oh, God, waken us. Waken us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up here. Come on, team. Let's get our worship team up here. We're going to end in some worship. And I want to pray over us one more time because if we can just get this, it's the one thing of who we are in Christ. The reason I call this awaken to security is because when you're in that place, you're untouchable. You're unaccusable. When you're in Christ, when you're in that place. I'm going to invite our prayer team as well to come up. And they're going to be up here. And we're going to invite you to come. You need prayer for anything, any circumstance, any situation. We invite you to come. We're here for you. We want to stand with you. Let me just say this. If you're hearing me and you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not realize becoming a Christian meant all of that. I just thought it meant that I just quit listening to rock music and stop, you know, whatever. I mean, it's amazing what we think about following Jesus. But maybe you've never stepped over the line to go all in and say, I'm giving my heart and my life to Jesus. I need a Savior because I'm not doing a great job of it. It's not working out for me very good. I need help. I want you to know there's a helper. And if you're ready to step over the line and go all in with Jesus... It's just a hop, skip, and a jump to that baptistry over there. We'll, we'll keep it going, but you need to step over the line. Why wait another week? Why Don't put it off. We're being a young person thinking, oh, one of these days I'm going to, one of these days, and I'm glad that it was not me that got killed in my high school class because I had three guys get killed in my high school class. And I don't know that all of them were in Jesus. shudder to think, but if you've never stepped over the line, we want to invite you to go all in and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Make Him the Lord of your life. You can do that. Or if you just want prayer for anything, we're here to pray with you and stand with you. So as we land the plane in worship, in prayer, then you too, you can stay in worship. You can be dismissed. But I want to pray for you as we go. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Oh, it is so life-giving. My goodness. What you give us in Christ is a mind-blower. The blessings that you afford us because of Jesus, all we can say is thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lord, give us the grace to walk out the callings that are on our lives. I pray for my friends and family here today. I pray for any person that's here that hears my voice and they've never stepped over the line. If you're here, I want you to know something. The reason you have white knuckles right now and you're sweating right now is because you know you're being tugged, you're being pulled, you're being drawn. Scripture says no one can come to the Father unless he is first drawn to the Father. You're being drawn right now. And God wouldn't have me go this deep into this invitation if he wasn't working on you right now. So you, sir, you, ma'am, God's working Listen to his voice. Follow him. Follow him. You don't have to know everything. All you need to know is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's your starting place. And we invite you to come and 
receive Jesus Christ as Savior. There may be others here. You've been away from God, and it's time to come home. It's time to come back. It's time to quit playing games and time to repent, which means not just turning away from your old stuff. More than that, it means turning to Him. That's what repentance is. It's a returning, returning to Him. So I'm inviting you right now, reconnect, re-engage, recommit. Give your heart to Him again. Say, I'm back. And I'm sorry I left for so long. I'm back. That's you. You come forward too. And you may be here and you just need prayer for a situation or a circumstance or an issue. We're here for that too. We are here for you. And as we reprise this and sing about the goodness of God, I want you to come forward. Father, I pray for my friends. Open our eyes, our hearts, our ears. We may see, we may hear, we may know. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.